write down um, these three words. Because as was, after, after we already had everything printed, these three words this morning kept coming strong. Truth and trajectory. Truth and trajectory. Understanding what is true and the trajectory that truth or falsehood takes us on is important. Truth and trajectory. False voices are a big deal. False statements, false teaching is a big deal. We have in our house a little wooden sign that um, I, I'm not quite sure what to do with because Sheila bought it and it's hers, but um, it's a lie. And every time I look at it, I, I, I look at a lie and I'm thinking this is a false voice that shouldn't be in our house, but it's in our house and, and I'm not quite sure what to do with it. And, and Sheila's working today so I can talk about her. So here's what it says. It's this little wooden thing that's painted really nice and it sits by the TV, I think. That's where it was the last time I remember it. And it says, love me, love my dog. <laughs> love me, love my dog. And all of you dog lovers, uh, you, you are, that's appealing to you, and you go, oh, that's a true statement. I don't even know why you're talking about it, because that's a true statement. But it's not a true statement. Because the reality is, I can love Sheila without loving her dog. She wants me to love her dog, so she's trying to brainwash me into believing that that is a true statement. That if I love her, then I will love her dog. But I don't have to love the, her dog in order to love her. Some of you are praying for me that I will love her dog. Because you think I'm a heathen because I don't love the dog. Buckeye is a... What was that? I didn't hear that. Well... Yeah. <laughs> But the reality of life is, I can love a person and not love their pet. That's true. Right? Yes. Yes. That is true. So we have a lie in our house. And it will, and I can't do anything about it. <laughs> well, I could if I wanted to live in the shed. <laughs> now, I bring that up to say there, there are Things like that that are subtle that we accept in our culture, we accept because we like it, that aren't true. And it's not a big deal. I mean, I mean, there aren't many ramifications for that lie being in our house at this point. But when it comes to other things, it is a big deal. Because all you need to be is just a little bit off in trajectory. And you slowly are move away farther and farther from the truth. And when you move away from truth, you move away from God. So if I'm following the spirits, and I put a statement in there, pay attention when stuff jumps out at you. Pay attention when stuff jumps out at you. Because God loves us so much, and he's always trying to speak to us and show us things, to nudge us, as our, our memory verse says, is to keep us in the yoke and, so that we're with him and we're going at his pace. He's, all, he, he's working hard. He, does, he takes the initiative. And so when stuff is jumping out of you, it's often an indication that God is attempting to show you something. And that's what has been happening to me over the last couple of weeks. Is that, um, if, and so as I, I believe what we're going to talk about today is really, really important because of how it's been jumping out of me. I was ready, we've been studying Philippians, and I was, really, I was ready to move into one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3, beginning with about uh, verse 4 or 5, where Paul um, talks about um, all the stuff that he lost. He said, I was all of these things. I had all the success in the world. I had everything this world could offer. But compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, it's manure. And I, you know, that passage is so powerful. And and I was ready to move there, but as I, as I read through the entirety of chapter 3 of Philippians again, things jumped out at me. 
And I thought we covered it because before Palm Sunday, we addressed who we're supposed to follow. If you remember the message, we talked about how important it is who we follow because we're created to follow, but we usually follow the wrong people. And so we need to deliberately choose to follow right side up. And so I thought we covered that. But as I read through chapter three, the verses at the beginning and verses at the end of the chapter jumped out at me. And so I backed up and I started to pay attention. Because so oftentimes, what jumps out at us is what God is trying to say. And that's what I, at the end of the me every message, I have these statements on the journal pages, I have these statements. What stuck out to you? What is God, what is God saying about what stuck out? And what do you need to do in response? So my mind kept coming back to these verses over and over again. And then while I'm working on Philippians chapter 3, I also went back to our daily readings that are on the back of the bulletin and in all church email and on journal pages back there, suggested passages to read and then read again and ask God, what, what jumped out at you and what, why did it jump out at you and what are you supposed to do with it? And it was in um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And as I'm, as I'm listening to these, the same thing kept jumping out again. And then my mind went to Jesus' words, and over and over, scriptures jumped out at me. And it was about false voices, false teachers, and false teaching. And it's jumping out at me in a way, and, and, if, and I'm kind of reeling a little bit because um, I've all, I have always known that there's a lot of scriptures about false teachers and being alert and paying attention and, and not getting caught up into false teaching and, and knowing all that. But this time, I'm seeing them everywhere. And this time, they're jumping out at me and, and, and holding on to my mind and my heart and my soul. And so out of all of that, I've come to the conclusion that God is trying to say to me and to us, that false voices are a big, big deal. Amen. A bigger deal than I ever realized. And so I've been thinking about this, and I've been praying about this, and I've been working on this, and I'm looking at different scriptures, and I think we're going to have to pause for a few weeks from Philippians and take a look at why and what it is that we need to pay attention to, that God needs to say to us. It's got me a little bit scared, too, because if, that, if he's emphasizing false teaching then that's usually, whenever he emphasizes anything, it's usually in preparation for something. Yes. Amen. So I, 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 I'm, I will ask you to join me in praying, saying, God, what is it you really want us to hear here? And that he would guide me as we look at this. So there's a lot um, that I've come across. We're just going to take the first bite today. And look at some realities that ought to motivate us to be alert to the false voices around us. Number one, the first reality uh, that I've, I've tried to get a, a grasp on is that we live at war with enemies that are intent on destroying us. We live with enemies who want, and supernatural enemies, because our, our struggle, Ephesians chapter 6, says it's not against flesh and blood, but the supernatural enemies use flesh and blood. They're not our enemies, but we live in a world where we're at spiritual war. And, and as much as I talk about spiritual war, and I talk about it a lot compared to a lot of pastors that I know, I'm realizing how little I'm actually convinced that these supernatural enemies are out to destroy us. It's one thing to, to live um, as... At war. It's one thing to live in a country where you're at war and be back in, in on the home front, knowing that we're at war, but not having any real danger that uh, something's gonna, somebody's going to attack me. It's another thing to be living on the front line, waking up to gunfire in the morning. And in my mind, suddenly, I believe that my attitude has been, we're, I'm kind of in the home front, you know, and the battle's out there. And I, and I talk about being close to the battle, but I'm acting like there's no gunfire close. 
But the reality is, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, according to the scripture, we wake up every day in a war zone, and there are supernatural enemies who are attempting to destroy us. Trying to get us to give up. Trying to get us to get just a little bit of trajectory off, to accept a little bit of falsehood, and in doing so, get us away from Christ. So we live at war against these supernatural enemies, and thus all the warnings. So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to look at the scriptures that were the first ones to catch my attention, and then we're going to look at a lot of others. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Anybody need a Bible? Anybody? Just slip up your hand, and we got people who will deliver them. Anybody? We got one over here. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, so we've studied chapter 1, chapter 2. Now he comes. Finally, he says, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and, it's, and it is safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord. And the book of Philippians is often known as the New Testament book of joy, because he talks about rejoicing a lot, and he talks about joy a lot. And and so I want to pause before we go into the next verse, before we launch into the hard words against false teachers, to understand that the context of living in the spiritual war is rejoicing in the Lord. Amen. And rejoice means we have confidence in the Lord. I want you to hear me. Jesus won. Amen. When he rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit, he won. We don't have anything to fear. We can live with confidence. But we also need to understand, with that confidence, we have battles to fight. And so there are still supernatural enemies who are trying to destroy us. And so rejoice. Rejoice. To be glad. Um, have confidence. Choose a state of well-being no matter what battles you're in. Jesus has won. And so with that confidence, then he, in verse 2, he says, and I want you to imagine me saying this in a sermon. Look out for the dogs. Dogs. See, 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 see. He didn't say cats. He didn't say birds. Buckeye, I, Buckeye, I have a scripture for you. Look out for the dogs. Why dogs? Because in that day, they weren't living in their houses. They were these um, animals that are scrounging around. Um, they, were, they represented impurity and shamelessness, roaming around, um, getting into trouble, just all about themselves, trying to get what they want. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Those, not just people who do evil, but people who are actually having their own agenda doing evil, intentionally doing evil against other people. Look out for those who are against Christ. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And now, now he re, he's referring to a group of people called the Judaizers, who were teaching in this New Testament era that you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. And circumcision represented the outward commitment, the outward favor of God, the outward covenant of God. And so they were saying, you have to follow all these rules and regulations of the Old Testament. Not just get circumcised, but you have to follow all of these Jewish rules and regulations in order to be pleasing to God, in order to be a Christian. And with that, they were taking away the power of the cross. Because no longer was it grace by faith that, were, that you were saved. It not only, now it wasn't freedom in this relationship. It was continuing to try to earn your salvation. It was a legalism. It was imposing on them that which Jesus had not imposed. And I want you to note, they weren't outsiders. They weren't um, 
Satan worshipers. They were in the church. And so he says, look out for them. Pay attention for these people. There are people, and so he says, pay attention because there are people among you, they sound good, they look good, but they, are in, they have intentionally worked to have relational connection with you, but they are bringing a message that is against Christ. Pretty strong language, isn't it? And yet Paul is not being insulting. He is speaking the truth. And it challenged me to think, in our effort to be nice and kind, are we excusing the same kind of behavior that is causing damage to the cause of Christ? So verse 2 is a warning, and then verse 3, he states the truth. He says, for we are the circumcision. They're the circumcision group. They're, they're claiming to be the special people of God. But after Jesus, we're the circumcision. Circumcision representing the covenant of God. We are now the people of God. We're the, we're the ones with the truth, not them, because we hold to the, to the cross. Who worship by the Spirit of God. And, and glory in Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. They're all about themselves. They're all about the legalism, the flesh. They're all about um, doing it in their own ability instead of doing it by the Spirit of God. He says, and so the truth is we're, we're the ones that are right, regardless of what they say and how, how well they say it, they are false. Truth and trajectory. Because all it would take is for people to believe in this little bit of this legalism and eventually it leads them away from Christ to depend upon themselves. And then it's after that warning that Paul goes into that wonderful part of the chapter you know, that I, I described earlier. And then, then he comes back to this. Jump down to verse 18. He says, For many of whom... Notice many, not just a few, but many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Now that just jumped out at me. Because so oftentimes you, you hear Paul talking about those who are going astray and false teachers and, and, and all, you can get the impression that he's angry at them and he, and he wants to kill them. But now what he says is, no, my heart is breaking for these people because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. They've been captured by the enemy. And now they're being used by the enemy to say false things and have a wrong trajectory and convince people to go opposite of Christ. And now they're walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's not just that they're mistaken. It's not just that they, they, you know, they're kind of fuzzy around the edges of Christianity. This is the core. He says they're, they're enemies of the cross because they're, they're, they're uh, canceling out the power of the cross by promoting this legalism. Truth and trajectory. Their end is destruction. Why? Because they're not depending on, they're following the ways of the devil. Our struggle is not against them. It's against the devil that has captured them. And if they don't turn to Christ, then they have joined the enemy in his endeavors. And their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. In other words, th what they desire, their, their lust, their desires, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's, it's so that they can get what they want, is what that phrase means. So they're trying to get what they want. Not, they're not trying to serve Christ and sacrifice their lives for him. They're trying to get what they want. And their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things instead of on heavenly things. They're 180 degrees off from who Jesus is. With tears, I tell you. So when we, when we see people who are teaching false, living false, promoting false, things that aren't of God, we should be angry at the enemy and angry at the lies that are, that are causing people to go astray, but recognize the people are captured by the enemy. Amen. Paul's weeping for them. 
Because it's, it's not God's will that any should perish. And yet, you can't excuse them. Truth and trajectory. And it appears that they weren't necessarily leaders of the church or pastors or evangelists. They were people in the church who were promoting this and having influence with other people. So at the core, it's not about false teachers, but it's about God's truth. And yet, we see in Scripture constantly, throughout the New Testament, that it zeroes in on being aware, being alert of the false teaching, the false voices that are there. So, as I'm reading chapter 3 of Philippians, that jumps out the beginning and the end. And then I'm listening to the scriptures that, that were a part of our, our daily readings. And I just want to read some of, the, some of them for you. Um, I put the um, page numbers there, but we're not going to have time to deal in depth with each one of these. Well, well go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy. We'll just stay here all day. Yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So, in our daily readings, we were going through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And what I, what I realized is, in the beginning, and then in the middle, and then at the end, the Holy Spirit through Paul addresses false teachers. Three different times in six chapters. Beginning in verse 3, chapter 1. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. False voices nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. You see the trajectory? Here, here it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't the circumcision stuff. It was just stuff that would get you a little bit off because, oh, I'm from this family. That makes me better. Genealogies and myths, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. Always remember that. As we're talking about false teachers, it's not about hate. It's not about judgment. It's about love. Loving God, loving people. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain verses by swerving from these. Notice, they didn't turn their back. They just swerved off a little bit. Have wandered away into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things that which make confident assertions. Jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Not teaching about demons, but teachings that come from demons. Falsehoods. And when the devil tries to get, it's, when he tries to get the trajectory off, it's usually not in your face after you've been a Christian for a while. Yeah, we go back to the beginning. There's Eve close to the forbidden tree and the enemy comes to him and says, did God really say that you couldn't eat or touch? He didn't, he didn't say, you really need to eat that. He just, just what, did he really say that? Well, we have to be diligent. Though through, um, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food, legalism. You can be better if you don't do these things. Jump down to chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited and understands nothing. He's proud and he's all about himself. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. And so he's saying, they're just promoting, they, instead of pointing people to Christ and surrendering, listening, and obeying, they're talking about all these things that create factions and arguments and fussing with each other and divisions, and, and it's just a little bit of trajectory, truth and trajectory. And then in 2 Timothy, again, so these are our daily passages that, that we've been reading. 2 Timothy chapter 2, three times in four chapters, he addresses it. Chapter two, uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. 
Just going on and on and on and on. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Trajectory, just a little bit off. And then it gets worse and worse and worse until it just destroys. And then he names names. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth. Here are people that were a part of the, the congregation, evidently the congregation there where Timothy was, or the congregation where Paul was, and he's calling people out. He's saying, these are people. They, see, see, in me, I, I've always had this, you just don't do that. And I'm going, God, maybe you do. If, because they're damaging, and they're causing other people to get off track and go on the wrong trajectory. Amen. They've swerved from the truth saying the resurrection has already happened. Chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call in the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Truth. It's all about truth. And the problem, so the problem is false teaching. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. There are some things that don't, you just don't argue about. It just doesn't matter. It's, all, it's around the periphery and it just doesn't matter. It's not at the core. It's not the cross. You know that they just breed quarrels. And all we have to do is look at our culture today. Look at how many different groups there are. And if you get at the root of the history of what divided them, you go, that was just stupid. Right? That wasn't. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. He, and that's why our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against the people who have them. They're captured. Because who knows? Every once in a while, somebody that's completely off track, every once in a while, somebody who's leading a cult, God gets a hold of them and they turn around. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. And I don't know if we're in the last days or not. Uh, people have believed for centuries they're in the last days. Who knows? The last days, we are in the era after the cross. And they are difficult at times. For people will be... Now, the, tell me if this doesn't describe, <laughs> describe our culture. Lovers of self... Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, and notice, he's talking about people who are trying to influence the church from the inside. Because the next statement says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He's not talking about people who are, who don't claim Christ. He's not talking about people who are out there. He's talking about people that are close enough to say, look how godly I am. But they don't have his presence or power. Avoid such people. And then he goes on to say some of the stuff. And then Titus, the next book. Um, twice in, uh, I think there's four chapters in, in Titus. We're not, uh, we don't have time to read all this. So, and then Second Peter. So all of that was the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. And then you look at 2 Peter, and I put the scripture there for you. But false prophets also arose among people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality because it appeals to what feels good. It appeals to an offer of if you want this, God loves you and he'll give it to you. And because of them, the way of truth would be blasphemed. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. 
And then Jesus. Just a couple of scriptures from Jesus. Seven, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look good. They sound good. They are amongst you. They're in the flock. How do you recognize them? They look like a sheep. You recognize them by the false voice. And in John 8, 44, here he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees who were supposed to be the leaders of God's people and God's law. He says, you are, the, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He has a, been a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. He says, you're following the enemy. False beliefs that, and false influence because of all kinds of different. And that's just, look at me, a sample of what I've run across as God made this stuff jump out at me, that's just a piece of it. It's a large chunk of the New Testament is warning against false voices because at, at, at issue is the truth of God and not getting off even by a little bit. So false voices are a really, 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 really big deal. That's the first reality is that we don't grasp that we're in a war and every day there are forces trying to destroy you. Trying to destroy us. And I don't like that at all. But that's what the word says. Reality number two. You're not going to like this one either. We are gullible and vulnerable susceptible, and at risk. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who, um, when they talk among themselves, talk about how gullible Christians are mm -hmm. and how easily they can get money and, and power from them. Do you know why? Because we like to be good people. And good people expect other people to be good people. And that makes us gullible. That makes us susceptible. And, some, and my observation is some of the most cynical people, people who just seem to be suspicious of everything, have certain areas in their life where they're gullible too. Mm -hmm. Highly gullible. And they can get sucked in. Because um, we are not wise or strong against them. The only defense that we have is the Spirit of God within us. When Je so Jesus is talking to the disciples before he goes to the cross in John chapter 14, and, and he says to them, you, you, you just can't understand it yet. I've been talking to you for three years, but you just can't understand. But after I've been, after I've been crucified and go to the Father, I will send you my spirit, who is already with you because I'm here, but he will be in you. And then you will understand. Amen. The only way that we are not gullible is if we have surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit has activated our minds and our hearts to recognize things. And it's a growing process. So at the point when you accept Christ as Savior, you don't get ungullible. Is ungullible a word? A not gullible. You don't get. You don't get. What? It's not an English word. It's not an. Oh, it's. If you uh, look on the shelf under the herb dictionary and all the words that I've made up over the years, that ability only come and it only, so it only comes from the Holy Spirit and it only comes as we intentionally, intensely lean into the Holy Spirit to gain the wisdom that the Holy Spirit will, will give us. Amen. Because it's a growth um, experience. So open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. 
About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. We are gullible, susceptible, at risk, and vulnerable. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's not saying you're not a Christian. He's saying you haven't done the diligence to know what the Word of God says and allow the Holy Spirit to interpret it and apply it to your life in such a way that you are, what's the opposite of gullible? Ungullible, yeah. So the, <laughs> you, see, you guys are now just being patronizing. <laughs> Wise. Discerning. 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 Yes. So you just haven't gotten there yet because you haven't developed the skill. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So if all you're getting is the fluff, if all you're getting is just listening to nice, you know, superficial information about God and how he, you know, he, and, and, you're just reading billboards instead of really getting into the Word of God and allowing Him to get at you so that you have to surrender, listen, and obey all, uh, constantly. And you're getting stronger and more able. And, and that's why we have weeks of fasting and prayer and all the different kinds of emphasis and Bible studies and learning community because we, that's the only way to get wise. Amen. That's the only way to get skilled. He says, but solid food is for the mature. The... the, the, um, the the underneath stuff, the, the deeper stuff in walking with God. For those who have their powers of discernment trained, circle that word, trained. The powers of discernment come as you train yourself by constant practice to distinguish them from evil. So every day it's getting up and doing your exercises, knowing the Word of God, knowing the Spirit of God, practicing it, surrendering, listening, and obeying. It's like working out. You know, it, you don't get strong unless you actually go to the gym. It doesn't do any good unless, you know, you can pay $30 a month and have a gym membership, but unless you go and work out on the equipment, you don't get strength. And it's the same spiritually as well as mentally, emotionally, relationally, in every way. And so he says, it come, we are gullible because we haven't gotten the word. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents. That's an instruction. That's a skill to learn, to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, meaning you're, you're not um, nasty. And, uh, um, you are um, pure as God is pure, but not stupid. So wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We are gullible and vulnerable. We're susceptible. So a question that I've been pondering is, where do we get our theology? Where do we get it? Now, the Sunday school answer is from the Bible. The cultural answer is, we all have stuff in our lives that we picked up along the way, like, love me, love my dog. <laughs> that we think is true, it's not necessarily true. Some of the, so here's some examples. What kind of fruit was the fruit from the forbidden tree, according to our culture? It was an apple. The Bible doesn't say that. It just says a fruit. But you know how many people know? But why? Because that's in our culture, somehow, somewhere, it became an apple. How many wise men were there? The Bible doesn't tell us. Somewhere, somehow, three wise men were depicted. Or maybe it was because there were three gifts that were presented. Or, but it doesn't say three wise men. We don't know how many there were. But there are some people who would bet on that being true. What was Jonah swallowed by? <laughs> Did you grow up thinking it was a whale? Is that, uh, yeah? Why? I don't know why, but it didn't say that. It says a big fish. We are vulnerable. How about cleanliness is next to godliness? You, some of you want that to be in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, some of you have little children who are going, I'm gonna, I want that scripture. I'm going to tell them. 
Now, there's some, pr I mean, yeah. How about money is the root of all evil? How many times have you heard that? Is it true? It's not in the Bible. What is it? The love of money. See, it's because you guys are smart, right? No, it's because you've studied the Bible enough, and if you learned, you've learned enough teaching to know that it's not money, it's the love of money. How about God will never give you more than you can handle? There are a lot of Christians who believe that. But it's not true. God will never give you more than He can handle in your life. How about everything happens for a reason? How many times do we hear that? Everything happens for a reason. I just want to shake the person and go, you're right, but not the way you think. Because the implication is everything happens for a good reason. Right? It's all going to come out in the end. It's like karma from a whole different religion. Everything, ha everything does happen for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid. Right? Sometimes the reason is you jumped off a cliff and you shouldn't have. But the implication is that everything happened and God is in control of that reason and he's the one that's driving the reason. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. Now, if we... Um, God can use everything when we surrender, right? He can use our past. He can use, but it doesn't mean that he, that's the way he wanted it. We are vulnerable to those kinds of things that are in our culture, and we have to be discerning. How about idle hands or the devil's workshop? There's a lot of truth to it, but that's not a scripture, and we have to be especially careful because in our culture that, has, that was founded um, on some biblical principles that has permeated our culture and then been distorted and then there are people quoting scripture who don't even know scripture who, who, and are quoting it wrong and, or are, are quote, making quotes and saying a scripture and it's not even in the Bible. We have to be discerning. We have to be wise so that we don't take anything at face value unless, and we investigate, we look at it. Number three, the third reality of why this is so important, why false voices are a really, really big deal is because we are self-focused and we are prone to believe what we like. We are prone to believe what we want because we long for it so much. And, and this is especially true and powerful when it has strong emotions with it. And so we get into places where, um, where we're hurting or when we're fearful and we want to believe something so badly because to not believe it just causes overwhelming grief at times. Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. In other words, teaching that they don't like, teaching that makes them uncomfortable, teaching that forces them to change. They won't endure it. And because the, at, at that point, we have a choice. We can either submit to the scripture and say, okay, that's true, and I have to give myself to God whether I like it or not. Or I can say, I'm going to go find someplace else where someone will teach what I like. Having, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Does that sound like the world that we're living in? You can find a group who will approve any kind of behavior that you want to do these days. And many of them call themselves churches. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We want, so we're, we're 
we want to believe things, certain things. And so we are prone to give ourselves to that instead of scripture. Here's a few other examples. God helps those who help themselves. We want to believe that because that means that I can get what I want. If I, if I work hard, then God will come alongside of me and, and make me successful. God loves everyone, so everyone will eventually go to heaven. We want to believe that because we don't want anybody that we love not to go to heaven. Here's another one. We're all God's children. That's a little bit trickier. We're all God's creation. We're not all God's children. Because God's children are those, John chapter 1, who have accepted Christ, who follow Christ. And, we, and then we are adopted. We become children of God. When you die, heaven gains another angel. It's hard because you want the people that you love to go to heaven. Here's one that I've heard people say. God wants me to be happy. And so I'm going to make this decision because this will make me happy. You might want to write this down. God's not interested in making you happy. God's interested in making you holy. Amen. Making you completely His. He's interested in giving you joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He, he wants you to experience streams of living water flowing from you, a contentment and a joy that is unspeakable. That's, he does want, but He's not interested in making your life easy or happy. But we want, people have created entire empires by telling people what they want to hear and, and rewarding them for responding to it. I struggle because I want the world to be good. I, I mean, it, because that's what we, it was good when God created it. And so we long to go back there. First Corinthians chapter three, and we'll end with this. Verses one to three says, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. This is the apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church that he had spent much time with and tried to get them to grow, but they were struggling with idols and anger and divisions and all kinds of different things. And he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And now, and even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in, and here's, I want you to circle, in a human way. In a human way. As I said, we only touch the surface. We only scratch the surface. But here it is, in a human way. Um, truth is God and all that he is. Truth is fixed. It's not open for debate. What false teaching and false voices and, and, and however it comes wants to do is just get the trajectory a little bit off. Because Satan doesn't have to win the battle today. He's got tomorrow and the next day and he's very patient. And if he can just get the trajectory just a little bit off, then he can have you way, 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 way far away from Christ sometimes and you don't even realize it. So I don't know where we're going next week. I'm, I'm, I just am going to continue to dig into the scripture and say, God, show us why this is such a big deal. And I would ask that you would pray the same thing um, because this is a big deal. There's so much scripture that talks about being alert, being aware, watching, discerning. And we need to learn how to do that. Amen. This is not to be judgmental about other people. It's to keep our focus on Christ. Amen. Right? 
So would you bow your heads? And I'm going to ask you to ponder those three questions that I mentioned at the beginning. What is it that jumped out at you today? And then why do you think it jumped out? What do you think God is getting at? Why do you think God made it come to the front? And then what do you think God wants you to do with it this week? Could be big or small. Could be just a shift in thinking as I've been doing this week. But whatever it is he wants, put it into practice. Lord, we give you praise and honor that you did not leave us in the dark, but you gave us your word that is true and solid and dependable. And you gave us your spirit and promise us that when we seek you with all of our heart, you will give us the ability to understand by your spirit that you will bring to light understanding, revelation, insight that will give us what we need to live in your kingdom. God, I pray that as we go forward, you would show us what, why this is so important to you and especially why now. I pray that you would take us on, on this pathway of, of greater discernment um, and whatever that means, whatever that takes. Help us to be iron sharp and ironing in the process. Make us your church, God. I pray for learning communities as we gear up for this, God, that you would take charge of them and you would help us to be your body, your church on mission. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.